Hi, and welcome to Tales from Second Street. I'm your host, Doug Scott. We're here in the United States recording from an island off the coast of southern New Jersey. It's a bit soupy outside today, but, well, you know how the ocean breezes are. They at least give you an illusion of comfort, although it's, I think, (laughs) it's pretty imaginary. Sweating. Anyway, today's tale kind of originated in ancient Greece and ended last week in my garden. Give a listen, and again, welcome. The last few years must have made Hippocrates spin in his Grecian urn. He lived around 400 BCE and is considered by many to be the father of modern medicine. He was instrumental in applying the scientific method to the efficient and, I guess, the effective treatment of the diseases that afflicted the ancient Greeks. He saw the need to categorize specific potions and devices available at the time that seemed to be effective in managing symptoms. He worked to take a measure of the guesswork out of medical practice. I guess that's a good idea, right? Holy smoke. Anyway, he developed the standards of diagnosis and streamlined treatment, like which poultices do we use to treat a head that aches? The one infused with the eyes of newts or the special rattlesnake concoction? (laughs) Well, you know, knowing ahead of time made it easier for the physician to recognize what was actually going on and provided a more sensible approach for taking care of the problem in a way where the patient Well, where the patient might actually survive the treatment. He was credited with coining the phrase, at least do no harm. Systematizing diagnosis and treatment was much better than having to invent things on the fly at the moment of crisis, like having to decide what rodents or reptiles needed to be chased down, captured, and mm, were asked to sacrifice their innards every time a patient walked in. Hippocrates' system of treatment relied on scientific principles rather than trial, error, and witchcraft. Yeah, throw in phases of the moon and alignment of the planets as well. It was his life's work. Now, wouldn't it seem to follow that nowadays, since the advent of the computer, things would be so much easier? Finding out about stuff takes, you know, only a few keystrokes. Hippocrates would have been thrilled with the glut of information available at the push of a button. In fact, the internet and its minions, Google, Siri, and Alexa, have kind of given some of us the sense that we really are, as Mel Brooks would say, schmott. Hey, I'm really schmott. Anyway, kind of made geniuses out of all of us, right? I mean, look at the scourge known as COVID-19. Now, this dreadful disease has taken millions of lives all over the world. When it first reared its ugly head, it was called a novel virus because it was not seen in humans ever before, and it was of dubious origin and unknown track record. What we knew for sure was that if you got it, there was a high probability it'd kill you. Very damn scary. Large numbers of people were becoming desperately ill and dying, and, jeez, no one knew what to do about it. The departments of health all over the world decided to use tried and true methods that might be able to stem the contagion. 
One of the true blue techniques was wearing face masks. Easy peasy, right? The idea was that if you had this modern plague and you wore a mask, you still might die. But if you wore a mask around other people, you may not end up killing them as well. Well, did people wear masks? Some did, but a lot didn't. Why? Because some of us became instant epidemiologists after looking stuff up on the internet. We found alternative facts about masks that flew in the face of the medical community. Mask wearing was a bad idea. Why, you ask? Why was it a bad idea? Well, who the hell knew? They saw it on the internet. That was good enough. Then, then, a life-saving vaccine emerged. Joy to the world. A vaccine. It's a miracle. It was developed in record time. Wow. Health agencies said, get a shot, get jab. Hell, it was free and it could save your life. Oh my God, great news, right? Where do I get it? Wow. Did people do it? Some did. Many didn't. Why? Why? The internet told them what? It was too dangerous. It was too dangerous. The medical community said risks of dangerous side effects were low, but the internet said don't do it. A million people died in our country alone, and people said don't do it. Don't get jabbed. Don't get the vaccine. And many people said, okay, I won't get it. What? <laughs> Hippocrates quit turning in your doggone grave. You're making enough noise to wake the dead. Where am I going with this? Well, just think internet. Last summer, I noticed a tiny fern growing in one of my reserved flower pots. And since I didn't plant the little bugger, it would be considered what's called a volunteer plant. You know, have you ever gone past like uh, soybean fields and so forth and you see these lone corn stalks? Well, they, they're called volunteers because those guys are the result of fertile seeds that survive from an earlier crop. They plant themselves. My beautiful little volunteer was probably the result of a bombing raid conducted by marauding flocks of sparrows that frequent my bird feeding stations. <laughs> These birds have very poor manners. They fly in, eat, poop all over the place, and then fly away. <laughs> well, you know, if you have bird feeders, you know how that works. Some of the seeds or spores or whatever they ate or touched somewhere in their travels survived digestion and managed to plant themselves here and there. And that's how I got my fern. Anyway, I watched the fern as it grew and flourished. It was a beautiful plant. Since it planted itself in my yard, I decided to give it a name. I called it Stephen. I don't know why, just it seemed like the thing to do. And I always liked the name Stephen. As summer heat yielded to the cool of autumn, I wondered if my newfound fern, Stephen, would survive the coming winter. What to do? Well, I decided to consult the genius maker, Google. I took pictures of the fern and presented it to the all-knowing. And here it came. 
Not only would it successfully overwinter in our region, but it turned out that what I had in my possession was not only a fern, but an exotic fern that would do perfectly well in this part of the country. My volunteer fern was renowned for its rarity, its exoticness. I can't remember the name of the daggone thing, and since through my internet research, I've only recently become a phrenologist. They all pretty much sound the same to me. Latin gobbledygook. It was like um, Asblenium or something, but it impressed the daylights out of me. Long story short, my exotic fern overwintered beautifully, and as spring proceeded, showed signs of a banner year. It was looking more, oh, gosh, I guess tree-like. Maybe it was in some kind of plant adolescence, you know, like when you're a kid, especially if you have a teenage boy, their shoe size increases by the week, right? Well, I was wondering if it was something like that. I was also somewhat puzzled by the appearance of white flowers. Because according to my research, fern don't produce flowers. Stephen's robust growth resulted in an impressive stalk, and by the time I killed it, it had grown to an impressive six feet tall. Unbelievable plant. What led to Stephen's falling out of favor with me? In more intensive research, I learned he had intended to kill me. My initial internet research lasted about an hour. I had a couple of interruptions in the process that featured Amazon pop-ups. You know, you know how that is. It was advertising plant food and all kinds of stuff like that. And eventually the pop-up seduction worked and I went down the rabbit hole and amongst other things ended up watching videos about portable greenhouses. They're pretty cheap, I found out. Easy to build. Oh yeah, and with Prime there's no shipping charge. Let me get back to this. Anyway... At the time, I had read enough to feel secure in my knowledge that I was in possession of an exotic fern with a very cool Latin name. My wife insisted that my fern was a weed. I emphasized the unpronounceable Latin classification and she spun the name to be Weedus Americanus. Anyway, a few weeks ago I bought a new phone. It set me back quite a few bucks, not my idea of a good time for sure, but you know, like colonoscopies and root canals, some things have to be done. The good news is that this phone has features on top of features. It's amazing, crazy stuff. I transferred all my phone pics to this new device. One feature is that if you take a picture of a flower or some kind of plant or tree, there's an option that will identify it for you. It's absolutely amazing. So, I push the info button and like magic, all this stuff comes up about the plant in the picture. As I mentioned, Hippocrates and his crew of, well, pardon the pun, budding docks would have been amazed at the volume of information that in an instant was spit out about my exotic fern. As it turns out, there was another ancient Greek who would find my fern Stephen interesting as well. That person's name would have been Socrates. Socrates had intimate knowledge of my plant's properties since he was forced to drink a brew made from it. This exotic fern that I had lovingly named Stephen was deadly hemlock. 
That's right, hemlock. Exotic, all right, right? So much so that if you tasted it, touched it, tried to burn it, and inhaled any of its smoke, it'd kill you deader than a mackerel. Stephen was an assassin. Now what? How do I get rid of this thing? Well, according to the information on my phone, when you had any contact with this killer with the exotic name, you needed to be covered up from head to toe. And to think, I actually was watering this thing. Bastard. So, I put on coveralls, heavy-duty, acid-resistant yellow rubber gloves, a hat, an N55, of course, and goggles over my glasses. Suspenders and a belt. Can you imagine what I look like to any passers-by? Oh, yeah. Before I made my way out to do battle with Steven, I made sure to add the contact number for poison control so my wife would not become a widow anytime soon. Anyway, I went out the back door, and there he was. I could have sworn he leered at me. I held my shears behind my back as I approached. Much like my dentist does when he's about to give me a shot at Novocaine. I bit the bullet and dove in. I snipped Stephen off at the base and made a couple additional cuts so that he'd fit into the huge plastic bag I brought for his disposal. The roots, considered mega deadly, were dug up and placed within plastic bags to shield the garden waste guys from inadvertently touching the innocent looking, but deadly, hemlock. When I was finished with my duty, I disrobed in the pantry, wrapped my coveralls in a ball, and threw them in the washer, where according to the instructions on the internet, soap and water would detoxify the remains of Stephen. I was really anxious as I scoured myself in cold and then hot water and hoped that I had not somehow touched this damn thing barehanded and might fall over dead in the shower. I'd survived that ordeal and was able to relax in the knowledge that the trash and garden waste guys were scheduled to be here the next day. I was hopeful that this unfortunate botanical misadventure was at an end. It was, of course, not to be. It would have been too easy. The sticks, grass, and leaf guys were here, all right, but for some reason, when I ran outside to check my sticks container, they, they, they failed to dump my can. Everyone else's garden waste was taken, but not mine. What the heck happened? I called the city department that handled these things and was told there was absolutely no reason why my stuff wasn't taken. No reason at all. But they would make sure it was picked up. Next week. Next week, I thought. That bucket of poison would sit out there all week? How was this possible? A cold chill of realization ran up my spine like a rat in snow cleats. Steven. It had to be him. Alright, so I was hysterical and a tad, I would guess, delusional, really. The Styx guys came the next week, took the remains of Steven. End of story. The hemlock thing was real enough, though, and I guess it's fair to say my new iPhone actually, literally, saved my miserable life. And after all this drivel, there is a point to this story. 
I think that with the availability of so much unfiltered information, alternative facts, and genuine baloney on the internet, sometimes a little knowledge can be a dangerous thing. Really dangerous. Like reading a couple of lines about ferns made me a botanist and ultimately could have killed me. I think it'd be wise not to be hasty with our newfound knowledge. Maybe even find a genuine human. Can you imagine that? Somebody who might know something about the subject you're concerned about and ask them. You wouldn't even need to log in. Hope you enjoyed the story. I kind of called myself out on this, didn't I? What can you do? I never thought raising flowers would be as dangerous as eating wild mushrooms. You learn something new every day. Well, until next time, take care of yourselves and keep safe.